Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. <laughs> this chapter, chapter 48 of the book of Genesis, opens up with one of those famous lines Sometime later. We don't know. Well, we do. We have an idea. We have an idea. And honestly, I appreciate people that that do this kind of work to figure out how long things are, are because I'm sure it has to do with math. And you have to, have to understand, although I understand numbers and I appreciate what they do and the precision that they allow life to have, I, I don't necessarily put it all together very easily. And to me, you know, it's it's work. And they, they, but there are those that are just intuitive with numbers, like they just see them. And I'm sure that when they read these these passages, it's like they start putting together the numbers. And the numbers are usually found through so and so lived this long, so and so lived this long, and then the number of children they had, and and they they find records of those kids and how long they lived, and they they just they they just investigate and they dive in, and it's it's awesome. Because someone like me can read this this phrase sometime later and just look down and say, this was approximately 17 years. Wow, thank you so much. I don't have to do all that work. So I appreciate, I appreciate those in academia that do this kind of work. I really do. So that those of us who like to tell stories don't have to do the work. Because frankly, I wouldn't. And I would, I would just... I live in ignorance, and you know, people say ignorance is bliss, and trust me, I am a very happy man. Sometime later, about 17 years later, Joseph is told, your father is ill. So what we see here is, is that Joseph wasn't, wasn't a, it wasn't not a daily interaction with the family. He didn't, he did not have a, uh, a, a, a regular connection to the family. Now, all indications are that the family had regular family um, dinners, and that probably happened on uh, Friday night, right, uh, just before Sabbath, Sabbat, the Sabbat meal. And Joseph was probably always invited, but he was running a country, and he was uh, in- increasing the wealth of the country. And over those 17 years, Remember, everybody in the country was now uh, uh, serfs, right? They served the uh, the the government. They were they owed the government five percent of everything they produced. So people were, I guess you could call it a tax, but but the reality is they had sold themselves to Egypt, and in exchange they got to live. Right, it was it was a it was a an exchange, and again, it was part of Joseph's plan, not only in Egypt but also in Canaan, and so Joseph's part of Joseph's job and part of the ministry that he would oversee would be those that collected that five percent, those that those that uh, you know they got five percent of the produce, and then they would put that in the storehouses, and then they would sell it to uh, to other countries from you know from them, um, and. And they also gave it to the priests, and there were a lot of priests, and there were a lot of temples all throughout, all throughout Egypt. So the five percent that came from all the farms and all the fish markets and all the, all of the uh, engineering feats, etc., whatever whatever was being produced, whatever money was being produced, you owed five percent of that to the government. 
and the government dispersed it as they saw fit, and Joseph was in charge of that. So Joseph had a lot of things to do, a lot of people to meet, a lot of dignitaries to talk to. Egypt kept growing in, in power and authority around the world. Why? Because they survived the famine. They survived the famine strongly. Their, their warriors were not weakened. Their families did not die off. Like so many other in the nations around them, <clears throat> Egypt got stronger after the famine. Other, other countries were just recovering. They Remember, they had given all their money to Egypt, so they didn't have resources as far as finances. They had given all their lands to Egypt. They had given themselves to Egypt. They had given all their livestock to Egypt, all their horses and all their, all their donkeys, all their camels, all their cattle. Everything belonged to Egypt. So these countries that were around Egypt were very devastated for years to come, and they, they had to be uh, cared for. Joseph would have been a part of all of that because it was part of Joseph's plan that put him in that role. So 17 years later, Joseph gets word that his father is very ill. And one of the things that Joseph wanted to do before his father died was he wanted to make sure his sons received a blessing from their grandfather. Now, blessings meant a lot. Father, father blessings mean a lot. Uh, in the world of, of God's kingdom, uh, heritage and family lines are designed in their original design is to draw us all the way back to the beginning for us to be able to trace our roots, to have a sense of purpose and direction that comes from years of that purpose and direction being being fed out as a family. And that's what a father's blessing does, is that, is that it allows people in the future of future generations to have some sense of purpose and direction more than just as an individual, but that is a family unit and their role within that family. It allows them to make decisions and focus their finances, or finances, uh, focus their strengths. It's not just finances. Focus their decisions and their strengths in a particular avenue so that the family is blessed and they also receive additional blessings. So this is what's going on when Joseph brings his sons to receive the blessing. Now, this is this is uh, not just a family blessing, right? But it's also seen as a as prof, a prophetic blessing. All right, what what that means is the future of the children is kind of laid out, and it's seen as a spiritual blessing, something that ties them back to God, ties them back to the source of all goodness. Joseph wanted that for his children. His children grew up Egyptian. They they understood all of the all of the hierarchy and the governmental system of Egypt. They understood all of the religions of Egypt. Their mother was a high priest. Their their grandfather was was a priest and a and a government official. Their father was a viceroy. Like they these these kids were elite kids. There's no way around that. They they never uh, suffered hunger during the famine. They were protected by guards at all times. They went to the best schools. They they read all of the books. Egyptian uh, libraries are still noted to this day as one of the you know the the vast, uh, amazing collection of information and uh, knowledge that the pharaohs had put together. It's it, it the his sons his sons were set up pretty nice. So the fact that he wanted 
the blessing of his father on his sons is significant because it means that Joseph still considered himself a Hebrew. He still considered himself to be a, a you know the the son of Jacob. He didn't want his children to be that separated from the family. He wanted them to be a part of the future of the Hebrews. He didn't want them to be part of the Egyptian uh, future, which is fascinating to me because you know his their mother was Egyptian and their grandfather was Egyptian. So somewhere in there, there had to be those family discussions within Jacob, within Joseph's family, where he let the mother know they are not going to be raised to stay here in Egypt. They are not going to take roles in the hierarchy of Egypt. I'm going to raise them here. We will educate them here, but they will be a part of my family. They are going to be blessed by my father. They're going to have a role for the purpose, direction, and future of the Hebrew people, even though they're half-breeds. It, it's fascinating. I, I'm, I'm guessing that didn't go over really well. I'm guessing that there was some, some tension in the family when this sort of thing was discussed. So when, they, when he brings his sons there, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for him. It's a big deal for his sons. Now, I don't know if his sons were into it. I don't know if they they were like, yeah, I can't wait to be a Hebrew. Uh, this is going to be great. Now, granted, in their current state, the Hebrews were, were a great clan of people, a great tribe of people to be part of. They were being fruitful. They were multiplying. They had... They had the wealth of Egypt, one of the one of the major sources of financial uh, blessing for the nation, was in the care of the Hebrews. The breeding and the distribution of livestock around the world came through the Egyptian government. Pharaoh was constantly being enriched by the decision that Joseph made, you know, twenty years ago during the famine to acquire all the livestock of the world. Or no, not I shouldn't say the world because it wasn't a worldwide famine, but of their of their the world in which they influenced the portion of the world in which they influenced, and because of that wealth, they continued to influence it. I mean, think about it. Anybody, any farmer that needed that needed uh, you know cows, that needed uh, donkeys, that needed uh, opportunity to. Um, you know, whatever, plow their land, run their land, distribute their their goods, uh, any merchant, like everybody had to go to Egypt, at least initially, to purchase things. And, and if you wanted to purchase a male and a female, in other words, you wanted enough to start breeding your own, like that, that was something that was controlled. You paid, you paid a lot for that and you probably paid an, uh, uh, continually in the future, like a like they tax your car type of thing, you know. They every year, if you still had a male and a female donkey that were producing, you had to keep paying taxes back to Egypt for the right to do that. It's Joseph had a lot to do, and the fact that the fact that he wanted his children to not be part of the Egyptian culture but part of the Hebrew culture is significant. And Jacob understood that. So when Joseph shows up, it says Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to see you. It says he rallied his strength and sat up in the bed. 
And Jacob says to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in Luz at the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me. And he said to me, I'm going to make you uh, fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will make you a community of people, and they will give this land to an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. So he reminds uh, Joseph and the sons that this blessing comes from a long heritage, uh, and it's attached to a promise that God was not going to, uh, you know, leave these people in Egypt, that he was going to take them back. He was going to give them the land. Now, when we dealt with that back in Abraham's day, remember, this does not mean that they believed at this time and in this moment. They didn't see this as a military action. They just believed that they would increase to the the point and be blessed to the point where the land would belong to them. That That was the concept. So, Jacob has been watching this happen. His people are multiplying and they are getting incredibly wealthy because they take care of the wealth of Egypt. And all the rest of Egypt has now been enslaved, I guess is a big word, but at least at least they are indentured servants uh, to the land. But Hebrews are not and the priests of, of Egypt are not. So in that context... He's like, now your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manassas will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after this will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names and of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan. Before we were there, we were still on our way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So in, in, in this moment, now again, it's, I'm guessing this again, it takes time. Okay, it takes time. Jacob sits up. This is with great effort. He understands why Joseph is there, and it's a rare occasion that Joseph is there. It's a big deal. I'm sure the chariot made noise when it when it arrived, and and Jacob, Jacob understood what his role was. He he sat up, not just kind of leaned against a pillow, like he's completely up, so that these kids, and they're not. I mean, obviously they're at least 17 years old and probably closer to being in their 20s, could sit on his lap and be blessed. This is uh, this is a big deal. And Jacob understands that. So in this moment, he reminds them of their heritage. And then he says to Joseph, these two boys that you're bringing to me to bless are going to be mine. In other words, your sons are now going to be your brothers, which is weird, but that's what he's saying. He's saying their heritage is going to be as though they were born from my loins, that they came through one of my wives. They are going to be connected to the other brothers. So he's, a, he's adopting the sons of Joseph as his own. He's like, Joseph, if you have any more children, they're yours, and their lands are their lands, and they will interact with these guys as though they are their uncles because they are now my sons. And then evidently, evidently, um, uh, Joseph needed an explanation as to what happened to his brother, mother, like why she wasn't buried with Leah. I'm thinking that it's something he always wanted to know, 
And Jacob understood that he had never really explained it all. So the explanation, although it's only one verse long, is actually, you know, pretty, it's pretty significant. What he's saying is, listen, uh, your mother isn't in the family tomb because when it happened, when she died, we were on our way to the land. And I was devastated. I was overwhelmed with grief. I couldn't go on without her. And so I buried her there, literally, on the side of the road. I just I just created a tomb for her. Now I'm guessing, you know, it involved a large pile of rocks, and everybody knew that this was Rachel, and it belonged to uh, Jacob, and Jacob was, you know, moving around, etc. But she died there, and she's still there. I never went back to get her. I left her there. You know, Leah was buried with Abraham and with Isaac, but... But here, Rachel, that's why Rachel is not there. It's because I, I couldn't bear to bring her back. I couldn't bear to relive the pain of what happened when she died. And that was enough, I guess, for, for Joseph, for him to hear that from his father. So when Israel sees the sons of Joseph, he identifies them. He goes, who are these people? This is a ceremonial thing. And he says, these are the sons that God has given me. And Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. So Israel's eyes were failing because he's old and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Again, this is their grandfather. This is not uh, This is not like crazy. Like, who's this old man and why is he kissing us? Uh, they know who he is. They understand what's going on. They understand the honor that, that they need to show and the blessing that is coming to them is going to be significant. They literally have been spiritually and prophetically adopted that day as as now sons of, of Jacob and not sons of their father. So that's, again, big. Like These guys are in their 20s. So he says to them, uh, Israel says to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children as well. And again, this is not a reference to the last 17 years. It's to the 20-plus years that he was in Egypt and no one knew it. He goes, I I thought you were dead, and now I am so blessed because not only did I get to see you, but I get to see your children and bless them. It's more than just see them. It's the idea that I get to see into them. It's (laughs) It's kind of like that. That avatar <laughs> phrase, right? I see you. <laughs> what was it, Jake? <laughs> uh, sorry, flashback. All right, uh, verse 12. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. So he honored his father. Again, the sons had gone and sat on his on the grandfather's knees. Of course, that was a pretty heavy. So he took them down. He took them both. And Ephraim was on his right, and Israel's was Israel was on. Uh, uh, sorry, Ephraim was on the right toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh was on the left toward Israel's right hand. And he brought them close to them, so they would have basically been kneeling on either side of him now, not sitting on his lap. Israel reached out his right hand, but he put it on on Ephraim's head, so he crisscrossed his hands in front of him and and put his right hand on on Ephraim's head and his left hand on Manasseh's head. 
And even though Manassas was the firstborn son, now this is unusual because the right hand is supposed to go on the firstborn son's head because the greater blessing goes to the firstborn. Why does the greater blessing go to the firstborn? Because firstborns were, in general, supposed to receive a greater blessing because they were generally the ones who obtained the most um, information and experience in the family. They would have been the ones that would have naturally been around the father more, naturally been around the family business more, been a, been more connected to other relatives. This was something that that would have been a natural thing. They also tended not only to inherit more uh, a greater portion of the money, but they they inherited the responsibility of keeping the family together and keeping the 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 blessing of the father. Uh, from being ignored. So they helped the family maintain the the purpose and direction that their heritage, their father and the father before them and the father before them had had pushed on them or had prophetically spoken over them or had blessed them with the resources to go after. So they he crisscrosses his arms and he puts them on the on the firstborn is now being blessed as the secondborn. And uh, he says, then he blessed Joseph. So he said, he looks up to where Joseph was, which is in front of him on his knees. And he said, may the Lord God, before whom my father Abraham and Isaac had walked faithfully, the God who had been my shepherd all the days of my life, do this. The angel who delivered me from, from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they increase greatly on the earth. And Joseph saw that his that his father had crisscrossed his hands. And he said to them, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand over there and put your left hand over there. And the father said, No, I know who I put my hands on, son. Now they're both going to be great men. And they will both be known for greatness. But the younger brother will be greater than the, than the older brother. And his descendants will become a group of nations not just a large tribe. And he blessed him that day, and in his name Israel pronounced the blessing, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. And then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And and to you I give you one more ridge of land than to your brothers. That ridge I took from the Ammonites with my sword and my bow. So, in this moment, whoa, sorry, I just dropped some, my notes. Um, in this moment, Joseph uh, receives an additional blessing from his father that involves a piece of land that the father had taken through, you know, through force back in the quote. We'll call it the promised land. So in that in there in that interaction, he receives this blessing and this additional piece of land. But again. It doesn't, you know, he's he's in Egypt. He'll probably never see it, but it's something that could, that can get passed on to his sons. So his sons receive these blessings. They they uh, Joseph, of course, gets uh, just just for what it's worth. This piece of land that he gets is the land where Shechem was, which of course is what the, where the violence was was uh, done. He's like, I basically, I took over this ridge of land. I took over this city 
because Dinah was raped and the two brothers went in and killed the elders of the land. And, and basically, Joseph was, was, you know, he, I think he gave it to him because the brothers were always kind of, a, well, they were the ones who killed everybody. So Joseph was kind of that, that, the, the, no, he was innocent in this particular uh, area when it comes to the destruction of the city, or at least the killing of all the elders. So it going to Joseph, and it doesn't, doesn't mean that Joseph ever went there. It just means that his oversight of it and therefore his son's oversight of it, it kind of puts them at least once or twice removed from the actual violence and allows them to kind of oversee this without without that um, underlying bitterness and anger. And I think that's part of the reason why Jacob gives it to him. So now uh, we're going to the next chapter. Now this next chapter... I know, engineer's like, really, Bob? You're going to do two chapters? Yeah, but but this next chapter is interesting because it's basically the blessings of the of the family. It's the blessings of all of the all of the sons and what they're going to kind of be known for in the future. So I I don't know. I go back and forth. Do I read this whole thing and then and then I don't I don't know I don't know how we're going to do this, but. I'm sure we'll get through it because it's not really all that complicated. It's just a lot of information. So ver, uh, verse 1 of chapter 49, Jacob called his sons said, gather around so I can tell you all what will happen to you in the days to come. So again, these blessings are prophetic. He sees um, what what could happen or what the, the general direction of the tribes of those that are on, you know, the, of the of his of his sons, those that are you know married within that family, kind of the the tendencies of that family, and sometimes prophetically, you don't necessarily get something super specific, but you get a general uh, direction, you get a flow, and you kind of can see the the things that that are going to happen. You know, sometimes we do this through what we call words of encouragement where we see somebody and it's like you just you can just tell with you know internally they are just they are going to bring peace wherever they are or they're going to bring hope wherever they are or they're going to bring um discernment and therefore information and knowledge wherever they go or they bring wisdom and creativity like there's there's things about people that you can see and you cannot you can speak into that and in essence give them encouragement and confidence to continue doing what God's called them to do and what God has naturally gifted them to do. And at some level, that's what Jacob's doing here. He's going he's gonna to take the tendencies of his sons and he's going to bring increase to them. Uh, and some of them, he's going to remind them that, that they short-circuited some of their, their direction and some of their purpose because of the choices they made. And that short circuitedness, that's short, that that's <laughs> whatever that word is. He's like, he's going to remind them, hey, this is going to be a part of your life. Like you did this, but that's, uh, you know, that's just, that's just the way it's going to roll. So he pulls them in, he assembles, assemble and listen, sons of Jacob, listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Oh, man, that's a that's a great start. Reuben has to be feeling really good. 
I mean, you can just sense the swell of pride that came into Jacob's heart and and uh, mind when he, you know, when Reuben popped out. His firstborn was a son. Then verse 4, he said, Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel, for you went into your father's bed onto my couch and defiled it. So he just reminds him, hey, Reuben, you kind of uh, lost your position because of what you decided to do. You should be a nation's leader. But not going to happen. Simon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Wait, what just, wait. See, those were the two brothers who went into Shechem. He's like, you're, you're going to pay for that. That's something that's not going to like disappear. People don't forget when you like wipe out all the leadership of a particular city. That's something that's not something that goes away easy. You might regret what you did, but you tend to still react in violence. You give bad advice because your initial reaction is to destroy things. I find that fascinating that some people, that is their reaction. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it. You can see it in kids. As a youth pastor, you know, you could, you could, you could see this uh, tendency. The first reaction that somebody has is to cause violence, to strike out. And Levi, huh, right? What do they end up becoming? The tribe of priests. And Simeon, crazy, but true. Judas, J- Jacob sees it, and he speaks that out. Uh, then to the next one, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey of my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like the lionesses. Who, who dares to rouse them? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff between his feet until he whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine. His colt will be the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Judah basically gets, the, gets Reuben's uh, firstborn blessing. That's really what's happening here. He's like, listen, Judah, all good things are happening to you. I know I know you left the family. I know you made some bad choices, uh, at least one bad choice, but you ultimately made things right down there. You did marry the girl that that you slept with, and you, you know, raised the child as your own, and you never slept with her again. You re, you repented what from what you did. You didn't just regret it. You repented from it. You changed your ways. You came back to the family, and you became a leader of the family, and that's going to continue, Judah. You're going to lead this family in relationships. You're going to re- lead re- lead this family because royalty will come from your, your line. There'll be a line of kings that come from you. And ultimately, we know that the line of Judah re- uh, uh, produces the Messiah, the donkey speaks of, of peaceful rulership. The vine equals 
equals wine and prosperity. The eyes and the teeth speak of health and long life. Judah gets a lot of good stuff. Judah's going to be in good shape for a long time. And that's true. And then he goes to Zebulun. Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will extend towards Sidon or Sidon. Awesome. Zebulun, he says, listen, you have a natural gift on the waters. You tend to like the shoreline. You love being by the ocean. You're going to become a provider of commerce of, uh, from the sea trade and from fishing. And you're going to transport it in, inland. In other words, you're... Your job, part of your job, Zebulun, is going to be providing for the family. You're going to provide things for us from the ocean, both in trade and in food. That's a that's a that's a heavy load, but also right. I, I mean, I think about it. I think, wow, like this is confirmation. I'm sure Zebulun's wondering, am I going to have to kind of fool around with livestock the rest of my life? And Judah's like, or Jacob's like, no. You're going to do what you love. You're going to go to the ocean and you are going to become a man of the sea, a, a tribe that that interacts with, with the seashore. This is I think that's a pretty cool blessing. Then Ishakar. Now Ishakar, he says, uh, where where Ishakar is a raw bone donkey lying down among the sheep pens. When he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant his is his land he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor Issachar is is a is an interesting uh blessing because basically what he's saying is it, it's it's a spiritual blessing like he doesn't he, he's going to bend himself to what's going on around him he's going to uh uh, take on burdens to whatever uh, that that surround that are around. And circumstances are going to play a key role in Ishakar, but they are going to see things in the timeline and in the projection of what God is doing that will allow them to uh, speak that out, so people know what God's doing both now and in the future. But they aren't going to be people who direct the family. In a, in a physical sense, not like Zebulun, who will be bringing in food, not like Jake, uh, jo, Judah, who will be bringing royalty and peace and, and health and prosperity, not like uh, Simeon and, and Levi, who will be basically uh, <laughs> argumentative when people are around them and, and ones who kind of uh, increase the agitation of, of the world around them. Ishakar is going to bring uh, the burden of interpretation of the Torah, interpretation of the timelines, the burden of the land. They're going to bear the burdens of the people in a spiritual sense and become prayer warriors uh, before God. Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a snake by the roadside and a viper along the path that bites the horse's heel so that it, the rider tumbles backwards. I look for your deliverance, Lord. So Dan is a is and this is to be interpreted as a provider of someone who will bring justice to the nation. And Samson was from the the tribe of Dan. So I don't know if, if Jacob saw Samson specifically or just saw that given Dan's general direction of life, some someone's gonna come out of this tribe that desperately fights for and 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 uh 
succeeds at providing justice for the nation. Uh, Gad, Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. Nephtali is a doe set free that the bear that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attack him. They shoot him with hostility. But his bow will remain steady. His arms will stay limber because of the, the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd of the rock of Israel. So in these next few, we see that Gad is a warrior tribe, but there are no losses. That's what's interesting if, if you break down these words. Gad will, basically is not going to um, lose anybody. They're going to be known as a warrior uh, tribe, returning on the heel of its enemies, the same path with the same number of people. Asher is going to provide food for the nation. Mostly what Asher's job was to do was provide food for the Ishakar tribe, who were basically full-time in ministry, and the Gad tribe, which were full-time warriors. Naphtali was a tribe that was that delivers information quickly to other tribes and to other nations. That's what it means, uh, is a doe that is set free, that bears beautiful fawns. That's information. They are basically going to become a nation of, of couriers. Now, maybe maybe they were a bunch of gossips as well. I don't know. No, Bob, come on. This is a time of blessing. There's no need to take shots at people. I'm just saying. They were going to be a tribe of information, which is kind of a cool uh, uh, nuance to the tribes of Israel. And Joseph, he received a blessing of favor from God. Now, Judah would lead the family and father royalty, but Joseph was going to be, uh, you know, he was going to hold this bow with this, he's going to be attacked. So Joseph is a, is a place of division. And I'm sure that this comes from Jacob's ability to see that Joseph was a Hebrew leading an Egyptian nation. And he's like, people are going to attack you. People want your job. People want to take you out. But you are going to be able to remain steady. Your bow remains steady. You're going to continue to do the things that you need to do, and not a negative thing is going to happen to you. Now, Jacob wanted Joseph to have abundance because of of all the saving and shepherding he did and keeping the family together and bringing them back together and the suffering he went through when he was separated from them as a slave in Potiphar's house, as a prisoner in Potiphar slash Pharaoh's uh, prison. So the, the blessings of Joseph were also upon his two sons. So he, Jacob knows that basically he blessed Joseph specifically with the ability to stay at keep his enemies at bay by his bow never bending and his arms staying limber, not not unbending, always staying bent and his arms always staying strong. And then he's he also knows that he also blessed Jake, uh, Joseph's sons now as Joseph's brothers. So he's basically the family's going to be well set for years to come. And he wanted that for Joseph because of what Joseph had gone through in order to keep the family together. He says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he devours the prey, and in the evening, he divides the plunder. 
Benjamin was going to be another warrior tribe that provides plunder of victory to the family. Now, Gad is a warrior tribe, and they're somebody who just, they just keep chasing the enemy down and, and gaining victories. Benjamin is a warrior tribe, but Benjamin's tribal practice also brings wealth to the nation of the Hebrews. And that's something of a job for them. This is basically to remind them, it's not all for you. This, All this stuff that we're blessing you with, that Jacob's blessing, he's like, this is for the family. These are roles that you have within the family to provide and to bless others. Now, Jacob makes a very clear request. He's like, uh, I, want, I am going to be, when I die... I want to be gathered to my people. I want to be buried with my fathers. And he literally describes where the cave is, I guess, in case somebody might have forgotten. Uh, he makes sure they know this is the tomb where Abraham and his wife Sarah are buried, where Isaac is with his wife Rebekah, where I buried my, my wife Leah, the field, the cave there. That was, that's where I bought it from the Hittites. I have the title. I have the deed. Like, don't forget. I just think it's funny that he does that. And then it says he finished his days, which means he was no longer uh, refining the blessings and, and rehearsing the blessings of instructions. He died. He drew up his feet into the bed. He breathed his last, and he gathered. He was gathered to his people. And that's the, uh, that's, yeah, that's it for today, folks. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how else we, we can go back over these blessings a hundred different ways, and I would encourage you to do that. It's it's a fascinating thing, and it's if you've never received a blessing from your father, then it's something you can talk to God about, and I would encourage you to do that. Receive your father's blessing from our Heavenly Father, and if you are a father, it's really good for you to bless your children. It's something I've done a number of times. I've blessed my sons. I've I did it in, in ceremonial ways. I've done it in personal ways. I've done it uh, in corporate, um, you know, blessings. There's there's lots of ways to bless and honor your, your children, and you should do it, and your daughters. They should know that as a father that you love them, that you see in them characteristics that you're going to bless. This is not a time to call out their negative. This is time to release to them the opportunity to become greater at what God's gifted them in. And a father has a unique ability to do that. Not that mothers can't, not that mothers shouldn't, and I'm not in any way discouraging moms from blessing their kids by any means. Uh, I think moms bless their kids probably more than fathers generally because they, they spend so much more time with them, generally speaking. And especially if they're a single mom, they got to do both. They got to they got to be both the father and and the mother and uh, they are they are some amazing people that I know that do that so I just encourage you bless your children encourage them with purpose and direction encourage them with with identity and and focus and watch what the Lord does to them generations after generations it will bless your heart just like it did Jacob's. And we will see you again next week on The Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Well, this episode was, you know, long. Uh, <laughs> and, and honestly, you know, when I look back as part of the narrative, it is part of the narrative. The blessings of the Father is just something we needed to cover. And clearly the Bible puts it in there and spends 
a long time putting it in there. Joseph's children's blessings take up almost an entire chapter, and then everybody else's takes up another. So I think the value of a father's blessing is seen in that. And even though we may look at it and, and you know, think, well, you know, do we really have to spend this much time on it? I think it's, it's important for us to say, yes, we do. And if you think to yourself, well, no one really cares, or my kids don't really get it, or they're not old enough to understand. I mean, granted, all of Jacob's children were far older than like little children, uh, but they understood what was going on, and they understood that this blessing was coming, and they knew that their father would have a say in their future. It, it's, it, the power of words is cannot be understated. It just can't. That Jesus put it this, put it like this. Jesus said, the power of life and death is in the tongue. You, you can't get more powerful than that. And he illustrated it. Uh, I think he illustrated it really clearly uh, when he cursed the fig tree. Now, this was a, a tree that was out of, you know, out of season. It shouldn't have figs anyways. And, and it was obviously not a person. And I think Jesus was, for me, that that's what that story means. Uh, and in the context of it, I, I think it's, it's there as well. Jesus wants his disciples to understand, this is the power I'm giving you. And, and I'm giving you the freedom to use it. So use it wisely. And he curses the tree and, and it's dead. The next day it's dead. You literally can shortcut the life of someone who isn't even in season yet. You can shortcut their life by saying things to them that will destroy their fruitfulness. It's, it's a fascinating thing. Now, do I think if someone curses you that you are forever under that curse? No, that's not what I think. I believe that we have the ability through the incredible power of God's love to overcome any curses because the blessings of God are more powerful than any curse of the enemy. Always, 100%. Now it's like not even, it's like light and darkness. There is no battle. There is no second guessing it. Like, well, I hope I get a big enough blessing so that the curse will be, you know, uh, back, will, will be reversed. The curse will be reversed. But in the end, it's, it's really not even a question. The blessing of God always overcomes the curse of the enemy. So on, on that end, you always have hope, regardless of what somebody might have spoken over you. Maybe, maybe your father did curse you. Maybe your mother cursed you. Maybe you feel cursed because of your past. None of that matters when it comes to God's blessing. He will always overcome because his love is that powerful. So on that, I hope you're encouraged, but I also wanna encourage you, those of you who carry the life and love and light of God within you, to speak light and love and, and God over people, to draw out of them what God intended for them. Uh, we go all the way back to the beginning of this season. Our original design, our original identity is what God saves us for. It's, it's, what, it's what Jesus gave his life for so that we could access it without, without problem, without any sort of mental disorder that says, oh, I need to sacrifice more to get what God gave me. No, he's like, no, the sacrifices are done. It's all yours. It's available for everyone. I died so the whole world could be saved. So his blessing overrides any curse of the enemy all the time. And we should be blessing the creation of God with life and light. 
And if you haven't done that for your children, you should, and you should do it you know, early and often. And if your children are older, call them up and bless their socks off. Find ways to bless them. It does not have to turn into a monologue of 15 minutes of you know, regrets and apologies. It, it can, I'm just saying it doesn't have to. It could just be a simple blessing, a simple word of encouragement. And uh, you will see tremendous results from that. Tremendous results. And I'm gonna end there today. Yeah, it was a long, it was a long episode. We'll have a short Bob Thoughts. Have yourself a great day, everyone, and blessings be upon you. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.